Well, should we start? Yeah. All right. Well, you guys are brave. You are the, the committed last remnants of hope here. Um, we had like 34 people sign up for this session, and it's good to see that you committed 11, you know, actually showed up. So I, I appreciate it. It's always hard being the dead last session. And then not only that, but the session has nothing to do with security. It's about IT. So I'm glad. It, it's good to see everyone. Um, so I am Mark Dietrich, and I'm from Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. Um, I'm the only one here from Lawrence Livermore. There's uh, a few Berkeley Lab people here. Um, we are still affiliated with the, the UC system. Um, we'll get into that in a second. But wanted to just, we had a, a great project that we did in January. And we got Microsoft Office successfully installed over a weekend and wanted to just share how we did that, not just technically, but you know how we did it socially. Um, Lawrence Livermore Lab, you know, we were raised in the UC system. For 50 years, UC operated and managed us. And that just changed in 2007. Um, but still, we're very much, um, we have the identical culture that, uh, that you have, very much a campus feel, very much distributed and decentralized IT, um, very much, you know, far apart business units. So doing something like this, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard for us to get everyone to, to even agree to it, to even think that it's a good idea. Because um, answer me this, is it, is it similar in, in your, at your campus that if you put 100 people in the room and vote, that if the vote turns out to be 99 to 1, that's a tie vote? just like that at the lab, and we had to get that, you know, to a unanimous decision. So we'll talk a little bit about how, how we actually kind of got along there. So I wanted to throw in a, a few just background slides um, since uh, everyone knows about Berkeley, but so few people know about Livermore. So we're a one square mile campus down in Livermore, um, 50 miles east of San Francisco. And we're one of the three um, national nuclear Security Administration um, uh, weapons laboratories. Uh, now, the Department of Energy has, you know, the, uh, quite a few labs—12, 15, 18—throughout the U.S. Uh, a variety of energy labs, renewable energy, uh, weapons um, research, uh, accelerators. Um, so we're one of the three NNSA ones for uh, for uh, nuclear weapons stockpile stewardship. Um, in addition to that, though, we've got just massive things happening in the research area. Um, we've got 6,000 employees, billion and a half dollar budget. Uh, if you are ever down that way, you've got to come visit because it's a, a pretty impressive site. So I personally, let me see if I can find it on this here. I personally work here at that big old building, and that's the National Ignition Facility, which made the news about three weeks ago. You may have seen it. Uh, we finished constructing that facility, and we commissioned it and dedicated it, and we had the uh, Barbara, uh, Barbara Boxer go. The governor came. Uh, just a real good ceremony to, uh, uh, to set it on its way. And it's going to be the, really the first facility uh, to achieve nuclear fusion. And we've got tremendous energy applications planned for you know, the next 50 years, all centering on the, the National Ignition Facility. So pretty cool. 192 laser beams, 
that travel, each beam is about a kilometer long by the time it eventually then converges to this target chamber center, big 10-story target chamber, and then all 192 laser beams, they focus in an area this big, and they hopefully will ignite a couple of uh, atoms together and fuse them together. So that's the, that's the goal, big energy gain in that process. So, Well, it is. All of the calculation says between, t between 10 and 100 times energy gain. So there is that proton that, that flies off, so the, the, the neutron that flies off, so it should work. Shooting for about October 2010, so let's talk in November 2010. So these are the labs, uh, these are our core um, competencies, our mission areas. We've got stockpile stewardship for the actual um, uh, nuclear stockpile, global security, energy environment, a lot of research happening there. Uh, we've got the world's second fastest uh, computer. It was fastest until Los Alamos National Laboratory just recently beat us out with the Roadrunner. Um, but we'll get them with Dawn coming up here in a few years. Uh, basic science, some really good stuff happening. So, on to the topic at hand, and that was office. We, before, before we start here, who is who has office here? Office 2003. Okay, so you've already gone to office 2007. Yeah, but I spent a lot of time saving apps. Oh yeah, document interchange. This makes you want to blow your head off, doesn't it? Who else has 2007 already? So there's a couple. Wow, this I. And then 2003, what campus is that? Uh, University of California, Davis Medical Center. Got it, okay. Got it. And <laughs> at Berkeley, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And are you fully penetrated with 2007, or do you have to still, do you have some work to do? Okay. And then how about, what are your plans here for, for going to 2007? Okay. Oh, that'll be easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to skip it yeah. and, and wait for the next one. Yeah. Can, can I ask why? Yeah. Yep. All good reasons. All very good reasons. Anyone else considering skipping it? You all have already done it. Okay. So back when it first came out, you know, of course, everyone looked at it and we had to figure out what do we do now? You know, it's been released. We could afford it because we had the uh, uh, enterprise license agreement. Um, so upgrading didn't cost us anything. We had already, in effect, bought it just with the way our site license program worked. Uh, but I know that that's different for every single campus and then even within uh, departments within campuses. So, you know, it came out and we first, you know, started to figure out what to do. Vista came out at the same time. So we had to figure out what to do. Um, there was a lot of talk about it, uh, a lot of great reviews and early reviews about Office 2007, you know, taking productivity to a new level and collaboration and all that, all that good stuff. So what we did was we formed a team. Uh, we opened a project, we grouped, we got volunteers together, and we formed actually four teams that worked uh, somewhat together. One looked just at Office, one looked just at Vista, one looked at you know what training requirements would be to you know support going to both of those, and then the fourth one you know we had a big 
component of um, Windows 2000 machines still hanging around. And the way our lab runs is we support, you know, a, a current operating system plus one back. So that's what we would officially support in our common operating environment. So if we went to Vista, that means that we would support Vista and one back is XP, and that would mean Windows 2000 would drop out of support. So we had to figure out, well, what do we do with those thousand machines? So we did this, we formed, we had really good, strong, um, and I swear I'm gonna trip before the day ends on this. So can you, can you uh, watch me, there we go. So we, we looked at all of these things. Uh, every team looked at these things, just what the, um, the configurations would, would be, evaluated the training, evaluated how we're gonna test, distribute, all this good stuff. And what we came up with, we came up with these two evaluations, and of course, you know, our senior managers, they, they understand color only, so everything has to be a dashboard, a, you know, a stoplight. Um, so we came up with, you know, for Vista, that there were still problems. You know, Vista was very slow to penetrate the market space, very slow to get a lot of traction, especially in large enterprises, because it had some very significant um, feature detractors, some security detractors, some networking detractors. So all of those kind of added up to the fact that we needed to wait. And we did, you know, what the rest of the world does, and you always wait for SP1 to come out. So we did officially decide we're just gonna hold off. SP1 gets out, we'll do another test and evaluation run and see what happens. Um, but Office was a little different. Um, Office was pretty good, but the problem was that We've got a big Windows community. We've got a big um, Mac community. And if we went to Office 2007 just for the Windows people, the Mac people would have been lining up outside our computation facility with their pitchforks and their torches, and they would want some heads on stakes because we'd be alienating them completely. Um, it just didn't seem to make sense to upgrade these but not these, you know. So we decided, we knew that Office 2008 for the Mac was gonna be coming out real soon. So we decided, well, everything's kinda lining up. We've got some work ahead of us, but we should wait so we don't alienate that Mac community. Um, we should wait for Office 2008 for the Mac to come out and then take a look at it again. So this was back in 2007, and of course, a year later then, we had Office 2008 come out as promised. It was late, but it came out. Um, Vista SP1 came out. So what do we do? We regroup, and we looked and reformed the teams again, and we had really good representation from across the lab, from this business unit, this, you know, all over, kind of like your College of Arts and Science and letters and all that. Um, good representation, um, and took another good hard look. And here's what we came up with. For Vista, you know, we were essentially ready. This was, again, a year later. Third-party vendors had some, had substantially caught up to Vista. So all of our third-party application, applications on the, um, on our common image uh, were Vista ready. Um, but we had, you know, we had Entrust. Does anyone use Entrust? So we use Entrust for uh, encrypting our data in transit. Not at rest, but in transit. And Vista just, we could not get that thing working with Entrust. And, you know, we knew that we were going to have 
um, Outlook then is our target email client and calendaring solution. And getting all of those three working was just very problematic and, and Trust needed to come out with their next, um, their next upgrade. So we really couldn't go and do much here. So even though people wanted it, we need, really needed to wait and resolve the Entrust issues. So as a little side note, we finally have resolved those. So starting at about next January, we'll be doing um, a Vista migration. And we'll be doing it really very slowly through attrition. So it's a good way. But Office came out, and we took a good hard look at all of those components. You know, is the software ready? or Are our users ready? Is training lined up? Um, can our support staff adequately support this? The compatibility thing was still uh, an issue when we coded it yellow, and that's just because, you know, Office 2008, for some brilliant reason, stayed with its own macro language, completely alienating, you know, the rest of Office. And they promised to fix that when the, the next one comes out. Um, but meanwhile, we'll have that inherent macro-only incompatibility so Office 2008 remains its own island. But apart from that, we had good compatibility all across. So we decided we're going to proceed. So here's, here's how we did. Like anyone, uh, any IT organization, we came up with our proposal. Exceptionally well written, I might add. Um, be glad to share any of these documents. My email address is over there. Um, just with all of those good old-fashioned proposal sections, cost-benefit analysis, what our proposed um, distribution method was, how we're going to train. Uh, back then it was about 8,000 users, how we're going to train them all in all this. And sure enough, it got, it got approved. And we got the green light then, really again through, through this consensus approach. You know, we got all of these distributed IT managers lined up. Um, our CIO at that time was actually a position that was transitioning. So without, you know, a, a direct verbal okay from the CIO, because we didn't really have one, um, we had to really just build consensus across the lab. And we got it. We got everyone finally nodding up and down, so we went. So formed a good, strong team, again, all across the lab, especially for um, uh, the centralized services people who were going to actually be supporting this. Um, we actually brought on a, uh, uh, a PMP, that really helps on a very large scale project like this uh, to employ actual tested and hardened project management methods for, uh, for something like this. Um, CIO representation from their office. So we did, I don't know what happened to that up there, but we did actual project management. Um, you know, we used SharePoint religiously. I've got a, a slide on that here in a minute. Um, but getting a work breakdown structure, which is your task list, and having someone just driving and, and, and whipping the chain uh, to just get this done, that is just critical. So the one key takeaway from this is that there's a lot of value in, in getting the PMP in there and actually employing some of the project man management methodology stuff, you know, the milestones, the deliverables, um, having a project plan that is actually signed th that really paid off, actually absolutely paid off. So came up with a timeline and our first, you know, we, we had to break down the project in all these phases and, and I'll go through them in, in a little bit. But for migration, you'll see that 
our migration that we chose was just this little slice in time, and that got everyone's attention. So it took a, a while to explain why we wanted to do it that way. And, um, and sure enough, we, we convinced them. We convinced them that, that uh, this is the right approach. So we all know how to deploy things. You can do it either gradually over time through attrition. You know, this machine had Office 2003, and it eventually breaks and dies and goes away. And the new one that you get has Office 2007. Uh, so that attrition is always a valid strategy, depending on what it is. But we did, just did not want to have to deal with the, the document incompatibility issue. You know, didn't want to have to tell users, well, you have to really know who your recipient is, and you have to know what they're running so you can send them the right version. You know, having to down rev back to Office 2003 formats and get rid of that little X on the end, that would have just been crazy. Absolutely crazy, not just for Word, but you know, all of them in the suite. Um, and then plus we were getting left and right from our external partners, from uh, DOE, from other, you know, uh, other campuses, getting in Office 2007 documents. And it's, it's kind of embarrassing to have to call them saying, uh, dude, can you please down rev that and send me the .doc? That, you just, you can't do that for too long. Or you can do the optional approach and just let users decide if they're going to do it, but you're still in that, you know, document incompatibility mode. Or do a forklift migration all at once. Get it done. Go through the learning curve as fast as you can. Get the pain over with as rapidly as fine, and then we can all get on our merry way. So after taking a good hard look at those, we decided forklift approach was the way to go. And we decided to do it over a weekend. So we picked a three-day weekend, roughly you know, in, in the timeline. And the one we picked was Martin Luther King Jr. weekend in uh, mid-January. Um, we picked that because it was kind of you know, out there enough about f six months ahead of time uh, after we had made the decision, and about three months ahead after we had formed our team and were just really steaming toward getting this done. Um, so we did pick that again. Three-day weekend's critical because you know the, just having the extra time is is great. Um, but one lesson learned: <laughs> when you when you pick a weekend, make sure you kind of pick what else is happening in the world uh, that weekend. Because we got you know we migrated, but then what happened on January 19th? Thank you. Yes, the president's inauguration was that day. So everyone comes to work on Tuesday. They've got a new office suite. There's also a new president being inaugurated. Everyone wants to watch it on CNN. Everyone wants to watch it streaming video to their desktop. So our network you know, was significantly overtasked. And then you have the 10,000 calls to the help desk saying, I can't get President Obama on my desktop. Meanwhile, that, that's competing with, you know, Excel 2003 looks different now. Well, it's because it is. Um, so what do I do? So do a double check with kind of real world events that are actually happening. Would you so we would have, we would have gone to some other three-day weekend, or maybe even even a two-day weekend, or something just uh, a little easier. Probably could have pushed it to February. So how did we do this? 
technically was we use Landesk. So having a distribution tool is just critical. Uh, we had adopted Landesk about two, two and a half, three years ago and have really increased its functionality to where now it's, it's not just you know, your agent for monitoring or a compliance verification you know, beacon, um, but we're using it now for software distribution and installation. We have uh, a portal set up so users can pull and install their own stuff. Um, so that's absolutely critical. W it allowed us to do this, you know, without having, you know, there's no way that, that 9,000 systems could get a tech visit over a weekend. It would take about a year. Um, so we, it worked pretty well for us, and we had this on the PCs. Now, we didn't have uh, Landesk really installed yet on the Macs. That was, you know, a big lag in the project uh, due to some other external dependencies. But... Uh, but it did work real well for the uh, for the PCs. So, d how about you all? Do you have some type of automated distribution? Okay. And for both, uh, uh, getting the package there and installing it, yep. all that. Okay. For PCs. Right. Yep. Yep. What else? Does anyone else have Landesk? We, we have Landesk. Yeah. Uh, would you consider it? Got it, got it. What, how about some of the other campuses? What are you using for anything like this? Not really? Okay. I don't think we have complete Yep. Uh, yeah. Yep. Well, I tell you what, something that we did was um, we approached it from a cybersecurity uh, security perspective and said, you know, patching is absolutely required. And, you know, the way we're going to manage our patching is through Landesk. And if Landesk shows then that, you know, your system is not patched, then we will block it. So as soon as we started to block systems, Landesk participation went through the roof. And suddenly we had agents installed, properly installed, in places we didn't even know we had. So that's a good threat is to... Just block them from the network. So the, we used uh, the multicasting technology um, that Landesk has, and it worked out just fantastic. So two sides now, PCs and Macs. Landesk doesn't really support multicasting on the Macs themselves, so we really had to just do straight downloads over that weekend. Um, on the PC side, though, we used targeted multicasting, and we had to use targeted multicasting and not pure multicasting just because some of our subnets and some of our switches couldn't support um, multicasting. So we did kind of this faux multicasting where we had uh, domain representatives in every node and, um, and they kind of became the leader of that subnet and we would deliver the package there and here and here and here and then they would spread out. And then if they needed to go and designate a new... Um, domain representative, they would do that, and it would spread out there. So it, it eventually, like a like a crystal growing, it just uh, permeated the, uh, the landscape. And we started this penetration two weeks in advance. So two weeks prior to that migration weekend was when we just called the ball. We had a drop-dead date, no more changes to the distribution package, nothing. 
and that's when we actually started then to distribute it. So users didn't even notice that you know, this big package was downloading to their desktop and didn't even know when it was there. Um, but you know, this multi-megabyte file eventually ended up there. And you can see that through multicasting then, on Friday the 16th, we just gave the execute command and installs happened. And I've got a cool graphic on that later. So we had to figure out what systems were, were we were going to hit. Um, we couldn't migrate everyone. Um, we couldn't migrate systems that we knew didn't have the hard disk space or they didn't have the processor. They didn't have the memory requirements, you know, because Office, you know, it, it has a, a pretty good set of requirements. So we just took them out of our targeted systems bin and we knew that we would just have to deal with them later some other time. Either, you know, we could install Office but not all of it or we could install Office and turn off some features that, you know, weren't memory hogs um, or later, you know, through a, uh, through a remedy ticket, we could um, upgrade their memory or upgrade their hard disk, whatever it takes. So we just, we didn't include them in our initial thing. And we, there were probably about um, 1,500 of these initially. So we did have some, some follow-on work. Um, we eventually got that number down to uh, about 200 that we just needed to actually upgrade. Yes. That's right, yep. So big thing, preparing the users. You know, we have, we have researchers and scientists at Lawrence Livermore Lab, and as we all know, researchers and scientists do not like change. They do not like their computers messed with, and they do not like new software. So we had a big, just a campaign of marketing and awareness and public affairs, all, all of this stuff. We had a very uh, strong communication plan uh, to get our users trained and ready. So what we did for, these are all of the things that we did to, to get them, you know, our regular communications. Uh, we had pretty good training. We had the problem that the gentleman in the back had, you know, we had no money for this project. You know, who has money these days? Well, we had zero, so we had to do it all out of the base. We had to do it all at zero cost, and that's a challenge. Um, but we did have enough to, um, what we did was we had some Microsoft support hours that, you know, is part of our site license, and we could burn support hours by bringing them on site uh, to give demonstrations. So we did that. We had about eight different demonstrations for eight different parts of the lab and invited everyone to come in and, you know, watch the, watch the cool new software in, in action. Um, we did something too that was probably one of the most valuable lessons learned, and that is that Microsoft, they have these flash animations, and they're cool. You go to Microsoft Online, and you can download them. They're very lightweight, less than a megabyte. We actually installed them on the user's desktops. And if you haven't seen these, they're, just, they're really, really cool. Yeah, matter, matter of fact, it's so cool in, that I want to show you. See if I can find it still. Uh, there it is. These are just really cool. Flash animations. And what do users want to know? 
Well, they knew how to do something in Word 2003, for example. They want to know, how do I do the same thing in Word 2007? And this takes you right through it step by step. It's just terrific. So you, you start up here, you know, this is Word 2003. Remember what that looks like. And let's say we wanted to format a paragraph. You know, so you click on Format, Paragraph. Well, then it brings up Word 2007, and it shows you exactly how, and it animates it exactly what the mapping for that string of commands is. So it's really cool. So you can click on it again and try something else like table, insert new row. Let's try that. Insert row above. Well, then it shows you here, table tools, layout, insert above. So pretty neat. And it has these for um, Excel and PowerPoint and Access. So we actually installed these on the desktop. So before a user e even has to call the help desk or call their local tech, um, they can just launch this and kind of see for themselves where the commands map. And this thing alone saved our project because, the, again, that help desk was just under pressure and then the inauguration, and then we actually had two of our agents sick with the flu that week, and that just really, really made for a, a tough week. So those are available on the Microsoft website and again, you can email me and I'll steer you the right way. So the next thing we did that really worked great was we had this period of, of uh, early adopters. Can't recommend this enough. Have an early adoption and an early migration process so you don't have this sudden spike in, in users and installations, but you know, sort of a more gradual thing. So we did this and we had about 450 early adopters, and we picked our, our technicians, you know, our actual tier one and tier two field technicians, our tier three support staffs, you know, the engineers doing all the behind the scenes services. Uh, we picked our administrators, because we knew that administrators have got to have this stuff down, and actually did the, uh, uh, did the early adopter. Um, we got, uh, and we got pretty good results. Um, our help desk did support those early adopters during that window, so it's not like we've seen early adoption before where you can try some software, but you're on your own. So we, we actually did support it. How many people do you have in your IT? So our tier one help desk is about 15. Our tier two field staff is 180. And our tier three uh, services group is let's say um, 60. Yeah, we did all of our texts. Yeah, all of our texts were early adopters. We fired it off two months prior. Two months prior. If we had to do it all over again, I, I think we would have made that a little bit earlier, even three months prior, just so we get more time in there to, to install these things because we did installations for early adopters the exact same way we would for the regular users you know using Landesk, using a remote distribution a remote installation everything looked and felt just like we would really do it in real life um, and we had really good feedback on that process that allowed us to kind of hone and refine it um, but our early adoption window again schedule um, our early adoption window straddled Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. Uh, so feedback sometimes was a little bit limited. Um, 
So going a little bit earlier would have, I think, gotten to the pit lane. So we had a, a real strong communication plan, too. Uh, News Online is our portal. Um, so we have regular announcements for the portal, um, presentations everywhere. Everywhere we could, we would present to groups of users and to governance boards and to managers and, and just on and on and on. Had flyers. We posted flyers in bathrooms and bulletin boards and above copiers um, at the cafeterias. We wanted to make sure that everyone knew that it was coming. And it's a, that's a hard problem. How do you tell everyone at your campus that something's happening? You know, we, we thought we had a good email list, but we really didn't. Uh, public affairs wouldn't let us use theirs because they didn't like IT. Um, so how do you get the word out otherwise? So that, that's, that's a hard question. So we finally just went around public affairs and came up with our own list and, uh, and started sending out direct emails. Um, and then our tier two technicians, our field support technicians, they just did walkabouts. They made sure that users knew that it was coming just by walking and talking around about it. So we finally came to this spot where you know, we had done all of this preparation work and it, it was 10 days before Martin Luther Jr. King work uh, weekend and we had to make the decision, go or no go. So how do you do this? So we invited all of the IT managers and senior managers, and the, the, we had a new CIO then, finally, invited the new CIO, and she was extremely supportive. And we locked everyone in a room, again, facilitated by the, by the project manager, and went through these kind of decision packages. You know, were, was the pilot successful? Did we have adequate communications? Did the users know this is coming? Um, was training, pre-training successful? Did we actually get our packages delivered to the desktops and they were there just then waiting for installation? Um, did we beef up our help desk staff? We did this thing called a war room. Um, you know, so we've got this centralized help desk, right? But we're still a distributed campus and they have their own field technicians. Well, we wanted two or three of them to man a phone, a computer, you know, or three, and just be ready to go and, and dispatch to take care of problems. So we called that the war rooms. So were they manned and ready to go? So you know, we, we locked everyone, went through all of these decision points, and got everyone to agree, uh, are we gonna do this or not? And sure enough, we actually got, we got everyone saying, yes, we're gonna do this. So since everything was ready, we really, just had to issue the land desk command to our desktops that was about eight, you know eight characters long and it just said execute so we did and we got good results you know we had about 450 installations from the early adopters and immediately that shot up to 7000 so by saturday afternoon we had 7,000 successful installations. Then by Sunday, it went up above 7,000. And then by Monday morning, 7,200. And then by Tuesday morning, when everyone got back to work, we were approaching 8,000. So, so it worked. We did. We did. We said, yeah, as part of our user training and communications campaign, we told them exactly what to do. Leave them on. Yep. And of course, we had 
we still had about 400 that were offline. Even though you tell users, don't turn your machine off and leave it connected to the network, they still turn their machine off. So that was something for the, the two-week kind of recovery period that we had designated afterward. That was a recurring problem. People would still turn their machine off, or they would take it home. We don't have wake on land yet. We're hoping to within the next seven, eight months. Uh, but right now we don't. We haven't configured that in Landesk. So we then had this two-week bake-in period where you know we, we had substantial progress. We had almost everyone. So we picked just this two-week window for us then to go solve the cases, You know, figure out why this one just wouldn't install, and then go do it. Or get the ones that are turned off, get them turned on, and get them installed. And we finally started to play hardball because we realized people were taking their machines home and VPNing in, you know, like everyone does. And we, we had decided that we weren't going to touch VPN systems, but we configured it where as soon as they remoted in, right away, boom, install. So playing a little hardball got us then uh, real close to 9,000 um, uh, pretty rapidly. Question? Yeah. You know, you, you tell users over and over exactly what to do, you know, to just bring them in, leave them on the network, and uh, they don't. So that's when we played that hardball, and we, you know, as soon as they VPNed, if they didn't have the package, we started to download it. And if they disconnected, fine. Next time they VPNed, they'd get the remainder of the package. Then the next time they came in, boom, install. So, had great results. We figured out, you know, exactly what kind of uh, reporting to do over that weekend. We had automated as much as we could and had a, a cool Landis dashboard showing the numbers. Um, we had arranged for on-call staff from both Microsoft and uh, in our own staff. Uh, we actually even had Cisco reps on in case we're worried about our, our network bogging down. Um, so getting those on-call staff members designated ahead of time was a, a real lesson learned. And then finally project closure. We did all the good project management stuff, documenting our lessons learned, and then transitioning this formally to ongoing operations. Oops. And that then brings us to the things we should have done differently. <laughs> so we, we talked again about the inauguration <coughs> conflict. So that, that's just a huge one. The other thing I think we would have done differently was um, more adequately staffed our help desk. So we do have that centralized help desk. Does anyone else have a centralized help desk or is it distributed? Centralized? We underestimated the impact that two sick agents can have on the help desk. And if you have two sick agents, the void that they create is double that, I, I swear. So we had these war rooms set up out in the field, but we looking at this again, we should have brought everyone in so there at the help desk, we had these pockets of technicians that could be dispatched. There was just a lot having synergy, having everyone in, in one same place rather than distributed. Two, so two out of, um, well, they stand shifts, of course, and we have six on at one time. So, so yep, yep. So it, it hurt. It really hurt. Um, we wish we had gotten early adopters again at, well ahead of time, so we would, that's a, a huge lesson learned. Again, three months is better than two months over a holiday. Um, but otherwise, you know, 
this was a great project for, for us geeks because one of the real reasons was because they said we couldn't do it. You know, they said, oh, you'll never do that. First of all, you'll never get everyone to agree to it. And, you know, Microsoft just sucks anyway, so why are we even going to do this? And, you know, getting everyone lined up and agreeing to do it and then actually technically achieving it was just um, uh, unfathomable for us because we don't usually do things at a big, broad scale. We do things here and here and here. So this was a, a very good project for us, and we were pretty proud of our results. Um, and you saw how the numbers then went up to 9,000, and we're well above that now. We're just about at 99.8% penetration, and we've got a few cases still we just need to, to upgrade. So that's how we did it. And can I answer any other questions? Really? Yes. Yes. Well, we, that, that's a hard one because, you know, we have to decide, do we skip? Um, so we're looking at that, matter of fact, next month, uh, a very specific group to look at that question. And, you know, if you, if you wait for Windows 7, that really means you have to wait for Windows 7 SP1, which is that far down the line. So, you know, there is a time lag in there. Um, so we're taking a, a hard look at that. Right now we are tentatively planning to just proceed to Vista. Yep. For Vista, we we're, we're planning to do that by attrition. So new laptops and desktops coming in will have it, and you know both will be supported. We support the current OS, which would be Vista, and one back, which would be XP. Um, we'd still have to upgrade those Windows 2000 systems, but they're dying anyway. So we would do that by attrition. It wasn't this massive incompatibility issue where, you know, I want to send an Excel document there and it's, you know, I can't. Um, that doesn't quite exist for, uh, for for Vista. So we can do it by attrition. Yes? So have you started to use your tryout mm -hmm. lined up for Windows 8 Max? We have. We've gotten penetration. We finished that by about April. Um, so we're starting to use them now for uh, certification. Um, for our, our CNA, uh, uh, virus stuff, patch management, um, and then software distribution as well. So we're, we are getting that. Landis is really starting to mature with some of their later latest uh, releases, starting to mature their support for the Mac. And, and is the software management part of that working well? You know, it is. It is. We're, um, we're actively uh, scanning, patching, and installing. So it, it, it has worked pretty well. Experience has been. Another question? Yeah. Do you have any specific tool or process to uh, build that standard install package that you distributed as far as what components and subcomponents you included? Yeah. We, let's see. We didn't use a tool for it, but you know, we had a solid test environment set up and you know, did the installation that we wanted and then, of course, ran tests. Um, and so we just did it, really did it that way. So we we then, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, no, we didn't customize that much. We pretty much accepted the, there's 3,000 configuration settings that are available for configuration. 
So we pretty much accepted the default ones. We knew that for security reasons, we wanted to tweak this and this and this and stuff. But when we, when we sent it out to early adopters, um, they pretty much got that default package just with security settings the way we wanted it and gave that the full test run and, and uh, it turned out pretty well. Yes? Yeah, so one thing that we did was Mac users are in their own island now, you know, with that macro incompatibility. So we left Office 2004 on their systems. So if they got this spreadsheet that they just had to open and they're running 2008, they couldn't because it's a different macro language. So we left 2004 on their machines so they could at least work it. Um, we had some power users on the Windows side, had probably about 50, that w you know the lab would implode and big explosions would happen if they started using Excel 2007 because they had big applications that were based on Excel 2003. So for a, a very small set of Windows users, we did leave Excel 2003 on to, to help with that. Um, otherwise, though, we're, we didn't have a lot of access problems because we're more a FileMaker Pro campus than a, a Microsoft Access campus, so we didn't have to deal with that. I know that'd be a big concern um, with, with those. And then we, we're just not that mature with forms yet, so we didn't have to deal with that. Did that answer that? Any other questions? Yes. One version. We had Pro. Yes. Before you implemented this, it sounded like you weren't using the compatibility patch for 2003 for Office 2007 stuff. Did you go through a phase with that? We did. We did. So we have a, a semi-annual um, core operating environment release cycle, and. As soon as we started to get these external documents with the little X on them, we knew we'd have to do something. So in one of those uh, common operating environment releases, we included that those compatibility packs. And again, they were only available for Windows, not, not for Macs. So that at least allowed that forward compatibility reader uh, to work. So you could at least read it. You couldn't edit it, but you could at least read. So we did do that. But then migration took care of all of it. Yep. So that, and that's a, a good tool, good lesson learned, is to deploy that as far in advance as you can. We did it a year. Yeah. Cool. Any other questions? Well, thanks again for sticking it out, toughing it out with me, and please email me if you got any questions or want to steal any uh, any of our great documentation. So, have a good day. Thanks. <laughs>